And we can chant together. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So we are continuing our study of the Srimad Bhagavatam. And we are on, I'm calling it the latter part of the uh, 13th chapter because there's no purports uh, going till the end. But I did, um, in just two or three verses, I did come up with some um, uh, things from Srila Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur and, and I think one thing from Jiva Goswami just to add a little of the spice since Srila Prabhupada chose not to um, uh, have much in terms of purports. Okay, so let us begin with, actually we're on text 14. Right, and I think uh, we we pretty much remember the uh, what's going on here. Indra is uh, getting some reactions um, from. Oh, actually, we're on text twelve and thirteen um, from the second time that he's uh, killed a brahmana in 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 this past in these recent times, we could say. Indra saw personified sinful reactions chasing him. And let me just make sure I get my notes. Uh, and ready here. Okay. <clears throat> Hearing like a chandala, chandala woman, a woman of the lowest class, she seemed very old, and all the limbs of her body trembled. Because she was afflicted with tuberculosis, her body and garments were covered with blood, breathing an unbearably fishy odor that polluted the entire street. She called to Indra, wait, wait. O king... Indra first fled to the sky, but there was uh, there also he saw the woman of personified sin chasing him. This witch followed him wherever he went. At last, he very quickly went to the northeast and entered the Manasasarovara Lake. Always thinking of how he could re- uh, be relieved from the sinful reactions for killing a brahmana, King Indra, invisible to everyone, lived in the lake for 1,000 years in the subtle fibers of the stem of a lotus. The fire god used to bring him his share of all yagnas, but because the fire god was afraid to enter the water, Indra was practically starving. As long as King Indra lived in the water, wrapped in the stem of the lotus, uh, Nahusa was equipped with the ability to rule the heavenly kingdom due to his knowledge, austerity, and mystic power. Nahusa, however, blinded and maddened by power and opulence, made undesirable proposals to Indra's wife with the desire to enjoy her. Thus, Nahusa was cursed by a brahmana and later became a snake. So a little bit about this. Um, So his intelligence was lost uh, because he became uh, proud due to his sudden wealth. And how he became a snake is as follows. So Indra's wife, um, I'm just trying to read this. He was forced to accept the body of a snake because of his offense to Indra's wife. This is how it happened. Nahusa once told Indra's wife, I am, this is from Srila Vishnu Chakravarta. I am now Indra, so you should serve me. Sachi Devi complained to Brihaspati about Nahusa's advances. Now listen to this. <laughs> the guru advised Advise, tell Nahusa that you will worship him if he comes to you carried by brahmanas. His forcing the brahmanas to serve him in this way will cause them to curse him and he will fall down. 
Sachi Devi followed her guru's advice, and Nahusa then came to her on a palaquin carried by Agastya and other exalted sages, chiding his Brahmana carriers to Sarpa, go faster. Nahusa accidentally touched Agastya with his foot. The angry sage then cursed him to Sarpo Bhava, become a snake. Any, oh, I have to let some people in. Uh, any, uh, anything on that? <laughs> I just thought it was so clever that Bihaspati, you know, you know, came up with a, a, a scheme, as we would say, to, uh, have Nahusha appropriately, uh, dealt with for his making advances. And so the, there was an angry sage. Do sages get angry? Aren't they beyond anger? I'll let Maharaj address that one, <laughs> if he wants to. Sages become angry also. When there's um, overstepping of religious principles, then sages may become angry. And some more than that others. I'm thinking of... Uh, who was uh, chasing uh, Ambarish? Devarsi? Devarsi. Yeah, Devarsi. Yeah, he seems to get angry pretty easily. Would that be fair? Shall we carry on? Uh, I also have something uh, from 18 to 21 to read to you. Let's continue. Uh, so 17. Indra's sins were diminished by the influence of Rudra, the demigod of all directions. <laughs> Because Indra was protected by the goddess of fortune, Lord Vishnu's wife, who resides in the lotus clusters of Manasa Sarovara Lake, Indra's sins could not be affected, could not affect him. Indra was ultimately relieved of all the reactions of his sinful deeds by strictly worshipping Lord Vishnu. Then he was called back to the heavenly planets by the Pramanas and reinstated in his position. O King, when Lord Indra reached the heavenly planets, the saintly Brahmanas approached him and properly initiated him into a horse sacrifice, Ashvamedha Yagna, meant to please the Supreme Lord. The horse sacrifice performed by the saintly Brahmanas relieved Indra of his of the reactions to all his sins because he worshipped the Supreme Personality of Godhead in that sacrifice. O King, although he had committed a gravely sinful act, it was nullified at once by the sac- by that sacrifice just as fog is vanquished by the brilliant sunrise. King Indra was favored by Marichi and the other great sages. Um, just one second. Oops. They performed the sacrifice just according to rules and regulations, worshiping the Supreme Personality of God at the Super Soul, the original person. Thus Indra regained his exalted position and was again honored by everyone. So the question comes up, why so many layers of relief were required for Indra to become freed from his sinful reactions? Mm. After being cleansed by Lord Shiva, Lakshmi Devi, Lord Vishnu, why, why a horse sacrifice? So Jiva Goswami, um, he talks about this in the Bhakti Sandarbha, in, uh, if you're curious, uh, 127, text 17 and 18. Um, and here's what he writes. The horse sacrifice was performed for common people who believed that a horse sacrifice was a proper atonement for what Indra had done. One may ask, however, how can, how one can atone by the killing of Britra, who was, after all, a great Prema Bhakta, by worshipping Lord Vishnu? 
Great offenses are destroyed only when one receives the Lord's mercy. <coughs> so Indra actually had no fault since the Lord himself had inspired him to kill Britra and even told them how to do it. What was the Lord's purpose in all this? It was simply to remove Britra's demoniac nature. Therefore, worshiping the Lord was effective atonement for Indra. End of uh, what I could find out. Let's continue. Uh, 22 and 23, which is the very last verses. In this very great narrative, there is glorification of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Narayana. There are statements about the exaltedness of devotional service. There are descriptions of devotees like Indra and Brittrasura. And there are statements about King Indra's release from sinful life and about his victory in fighting the demons. By understanding this incident, one is relieved of all sinful reactions. Therefore, the learned are always advised to read this narration. If one does so, one becomes expert in the activities of the senses, his opulence will increase, and his reputation will become widespread. One will also be relieved of all sinful reactions. He will conquer all his enemies, and the duration of his life will increase. Because this narration is auspicious in all respects, learned scholars regularly hear and repeat it on every festival day. So, um, I, someone may ask why, um, why, you know, some of these, uh, this is called the shutifal, the, the fruit of listening to a certain pastime. And here, you know, some of them are quite, you know, spiritual nature, but then, you know, defeating your enemies or, uh, you know, uh, longer duration of life. So, uh, Maharaj, could you just shed, uh, some light on how these shruti falls fall in the Bhagavatam? Because this is not the only one. No, it's not the only one. It seems that the sages want to attract everyone. The, although it's Paramahansa Sangita, it's meant for the highest liberated souls. Others may be attracted by the promise of uh, longevity or the promise of victory over enemies and so on. And then they'll hear this narration and then naturally become purified. Uh, they'll hear about devotional service. They'll hear about freedom from sinful reactions. They'll hear about all these uh, topics, the glories of the Lord, basically. Mm. Thank you. And there are some, you know, amazing, there's so many um, lessons to be learned here. You know, if we remember this pastime, you know, it had its beginning in Indra's prideful neglect of his spiritual master, Brihaspati, right? And then it ends with Nahusha taking Indra's post and himself becoming proud of the opulence, you know, of being, you know, at least the temporary, or as we would say in government, the acting uh, king of heaven. And therefore he, you know, he offends uh, Sachi Devi and the Brahmanas, you know, and then Indra, you know, he had to live in the filaments of a lotus stem, and performed tapasya for thousands of years. Uh, Nahusha had to become a snake. So I think one lesson is, uh, there's so many lessons here, that while opulent positions may offer us, uh, may be offered to us, um, we should be, uh, we should accept them with care and humility. And I think, you know, that's one, take one additional takeaway we can uh you can see what happens to Indra, what happens to Nahusha, and say, whoa, um, how can I apply this in my life? Okay, if I get, I'm not going to become the king of heaven in any big hurry, but, you know, a pauper can be proud of his penny, 
as Srila Prabhupada would say. So let me um, be careful. And also, if, if Krishna does arrange that we get some opulence uh, to be really careful, we use that exclusively in the Lord's service. Maharaj, would we like to expand on that? No. no. You, you did a good job. Okay. Some questions or comments on uh, these many verses we just read and the end of this, uh, well, sort of the end of this pastime. Anything in the chat? Um, there seems to be much disregard for women within our scriptures. For example, Ramayan, Sita Devi, Mahabharata, etc. Can you please discuss, is there perceived lower birth? I don't know who um, 3013, I'm not sure who that is, but... Uh, um, Maharaj, would you like to handle that one? Well, well, first of all, um, there's there's much to be said, but if you're citing Ramayana and Mahabharata, they're both the biggest wars in uh, in Puranic history, and they're fought over the um, sanctity of the position of of woman. The, the whole war against Ravana was because of his um, insult to Sita Devi, and the Mahabharata war was over the insult to Draupadi. So I don't think we can cite Mahabharata and Ramayana in, in this regard as being uh, evidence for disregard, especially if you count up the number of people killed, the number of, you know, I mean, it's taken pretty seriously. The um, Now that said, Sriya Sudra Tata Vaishate Piyanti Param Gatim. So the to be straightforward in the answer to to the question, um, yes, it's perceived as a lower birth, along with uh, Hun, Andhra, Palinda, Pulkasha, American, German, French, Italian. Uh, Not Italian. <laughs> even Italian, you know. So the, these are, uh, however you take, that's three sudra dvidra bandhuna treish nashruti gotra. So however you take it, all right, these are lower births. Uh, and Prabhupada might say, you know, paraphrasing, what of it? <laughs> We're not this body, so what of it? Um, are we upset that our birth is not higher or, or regarded as higher? Um, you know, what of it? Uh-huh. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you. Further questions, comments? Hare Krishna Prabhu, this is Jirta Tadas. Hare Krishna. So, thank you, Maharaj. That was very enlightening. And um, further, one lesson that we learn is uh, power pollutes. Right? Mahusha became, you know, he was given the throne of Indra when Indra was gone. <clears throat> it polluted his consciousness. Otherwise, he was a very righteous king. He was ruling out very nicely, and that's why the demigods had approached him. There is an elaborate description about it in Padma Purana as well. Yet at the same time, we also see that some, uh, again, it's all about the attitude, right? Means how you approach a specific position. Bali Maharaj, in his previous birth, he was given only for less, you know, a little over an hour duration uh, to become Indra. And he used that duration to learn from his past that he had unknowingly performed charity and that's why he was given this position. And he engaged in charity. And thus he was able to take birth as Bali Maharaj, son of Virochana. 
and was able to please Lord Vamandev and actually win him over. So again, every act that we do, we have to be very conscious and uh, you know be careful about what the repercussion is because it can come back and bite us if we are not conscious. Hare Krishna. When I grew up, there was a saying: "With power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely." Um, tends to corrupt absolutely. Tends to corrupt. Yes, and, and usually does. <laughs> you're a great saint, like a few some of the kings we read about in the Bhagavatam. Yeah. Okay, so shall we begin the next chapter? We're, it, um, yeah, this is uh, exciting. Now we're going to hear about. Uh, Chitraketu and what a what an amazing pastime this is. It really is in one's you know continuation. As so Prichit Mars has heard all of this, right? And and he's you, you ever have like someone in a Bhagavatam class that says, I have so many questions. Let me see, where should I start? And you kind of get that feeling that you know Maharaj Prichit has you know, okay, I just heard that. I have some questions. So King Prichit inquired from Sukadev Goswami. We're going up to verse five, but I thought we might mention the First two sentences of this purport also. Um, o learned Brahmana, demons are generally sinful, being possessed, uh, obsessed with the modes of passion and ignorance. How then could Prithrasura have attained such exalted love for the supreme personality of God in Narayan? And Prabhupada writes in the first two sentences, in this material world, everyone is obsessed with the modes of passion and ignorance. However, Unless one conquers these modes and comes to the platform of goodness, there is no chance of one becoming one's becoming a pure devotee. Um, Prabhupada was giving a class, I guess, Maharaj, you might have been there because this was 68, I think, January. Um, and he was talking about the mode of goodness and the first time Burijan Prabhu ever spoke to Srila Prabhupada, he asked him, he, he's, he writes that he was kind of being a wise guy. And he raised his hand and said, um, I thought devotees were transcendental to the modes of material nature. And Prabhupada just kind of said, they generally act in the mode of goodness. <laughs> like that. So um, <laughs> it, it is something to be very aware of in our life, to make our surroundings uh, sattvic and clean and, and you know, do the, do the different things that we know uh, help um, nurture the mode of goodness in our consciousness. Maharaj, anything you would like to add about the mode of goodness and cultivating it? No. I think you're, you're good there. Okay. We have, a, a, I think as I told you, we have a number of questions for you in, in um, text number five. <laughs> Let's let's move on to that. Right, right. Okay, so demigods situate in the mode of goodness. Demigods situate in the mode of goodness, and great saints, cleansed of the dirt of material enjoyment, hardly ever render pure devotional service at the lotus feet of Mukunda. Therefore, how could Pritrasura have become such a great devotee? In this material world, there are as many living entities as atoms. Wow. Among these living entities, a very few are human beings, and among them, few are interested in following religious principles. Obesa the Brahmanas, Sukadev Goswami, out of many persons who follow religious principles, only a few desire liberation from the material world. 
among many thousands who desire liberation, one may actually achieve, achieve liberation, giving up material attachment to society, friendship, love, country, home, wife, and children. And among many thousands of such liberated persons, one who can understand the true meaning of liberation is very rare. O great sage, among many millions who are liberated and perfect in knowledge of liberation, one may be a devotee of Lord Narayana or Krishna. Such devotees who are fully peaceful are extremely rare. I'm just going to read the uh, very beginning and very end of the purports. And then I have some questions from Maharaj. Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur gives the following purport to this verse. Simply desiring mukti or liberation is insufficient. One must become factually liberated. When one understands the futility of the materialistic way of life, one becomes advanced in knowledge, and therefore he situates himself in the vanaprastha order, unattached to family, wife, and children. One should then further progress um, to the platform of sannyasa, the actual renounced order, never to fall again and be afflicted by materialistic life. Actually, since vanaprastha is mentioned there, um, I know, Maharaj, you, you know, you give um, probably 10-hour seminars on Vanaprasa, but I just thought you might enlighten us somewhat about, um, about, you know, maybe the essence of what you talk about, about Vanaprasa and its importance. Well, the Prabhupada talks about the importance of the Varnashram system, uh, Brahmana, Kshatriya, Vaishya, Shudra, Brahmacharya, Grahastha, Vanaprasta, Sanyas. And ISKCON has seen, in days gone by, many, many brahmacharis. At the moment, it sees lots of grahastas. It has some sannyasis. But the Vanaprasta ashram is largely unseen. But the Vanaprasta ashram is the preparatory ashram for detachment from this material world and going back to Godhead. The one is not meant to, to remain in, in married life according to Vedic system or uh, for one's whole life. It's supposed to be 25 years brahmachari, 25 years uh, married, 25 years vanaprastha, 25 sannyas, assuming we get 100 years. So there's nothing wrong with the grahastha ashram, but if one is, you know, it's, it's like being in school. If someone's in, say, 10th grade or, or say, 6th grade sitting behind their desk, that's fine. But if he's like 30 and sitting behind that desk, you say, you know, what's going on with this guy? So everything has its appropriate time. The Vedic system is in tune with biology. You know, childhood is the time for soaking up knowledge. Youth is the time for family life. Then old age and the, the, it is the time for detachment for, for many reasons. One is sense gratification is not what it used to be. Another is that it takes time to get free from material entanglements. And uh, working is in that, at that age is no longer challenging and, and invigorating and, and uh, yeah, challenging and invigorating. Now it's a drag. So one is, uh, and finally, the, the ultimate purpose of life is freedom from 
material existence. And the anchor for material existence is sex. And sexual sexual uh, attraction, sexual relationships, gross and subtle. So one is meant to break that connection. And the Vanaprastashram provides a gradual opportunity for doing that. If, if it's all sudden, if everyone goes from Brahmagrihasta to Sanyas on Tuesday, then on Friday they, you know, they slink back and say, well, I was missing my wife, I was missing my kids, I was missing my job, I was missing. So the Vanaprastashram provides the opportunity. What is that? Sanyasas tu mahabaho dukamaptum yogata. We're not Krishna conscious. And sannyas just brings misery. So the Vanaprastha Ashram provides the opportunity for increasing Krishna consciousness and decreasing material attachment. We also hear from Grasta, I have no time for chanting, I have no time for reading, I have no time for this, I have no time for that. So the Vanaprastha Ashram, now you have full time for those things. Uh, that's the, the, the purpose. And it is meant for us, I'll just give you my proof text. It is not that a grahasta should live at home until he dies. Vanaprastha is preliminary to sannyas. In the Krishna consciousness movement, there are many young couples engaged in the Lord's service. Eventually, they are supposed to take vanaprastha. And after the vanaprastha stage, the husband may take sannyas in order to preach. The wife may then remain alone and serve the deity or engage in other activities within the Krishna consciousness movement. CC Madhulila 24.259. So this is meant for us. It's not theoretical or meant for some ideal civilization of days gone by or for outsiders. Uh, this is meant for the formerly young couples engaged in the service of uh, Krishna. You're muted, Raj. Realize that. Questions or comments from Maharaj on this on this point? Yeah, I have a question. Mary? Go ahead, Andy. Go ahead, Andy. Oh. Just how you think that this in the modern world, today's world, how this Vanaprastha and Sannyasi kind of maps over into our environment. Like I can't just walk out into the forest, you know, because I'm not in India. And even in not India, you can't do that. <laughs> no. Well, Prabhupada says that in this age, one can go to the Vrindavan forest. Vrindavan is meant for retirement from material activities. So Vrindavan, Mayapur, um, or Iskand temples. I know that we have some, like in Tuaco, we have our Vrindavan Chandra, who's, you know, when his son grew up and so on, he, uh, you know, just packed everything up and moved into the temple. He and his wife, I mean, they've been just serving the deities for since then, many, many years. Uh, so that's Vanaprastha life. There are many, we have many Vanaprastas actually, you know, compared, not, not many uh, proportionately, but quite enough, enough to cite examples of devotees who've, you know, retired from their their family life, retired from their business, retired from material engagements, and they're engaged in, in Krishna service. Some of them sort of never got out, never got very 
got going materially to begin with uh, or never had much emphasis on it, so it was easy to get out. Others just with determination, they've said, okay, we've done that, now it's time for the next stage. It's doable, quite doable. And then others do it backwards like me. (laughs) That's also there. But now you're coming full circle. You're, you're sort of spinning around again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For those who did it backwards, you know, who led a detached life in early on, it's easier to, to become detached again. Those who were brahmacharis, trained as brahmacharis, find it much easier to become uh, vanaprastas. Or those who were detached in their family life to begin with find it easier to become detached again. Detachment is always good. By the way, we are blessed with uh, Ramatirta Prabhu, who has joined us. Wow. Danrats Maharaj, I have a quick question. Uh, so uh, the reference you gave from Chaitanya Charita Amit about Vanapras, you know, uh, so the householder eventually to transition to Vanapras and all that. So two things. Um, somehow I don't know why I thought that trying to strive to live uh, like is recommended in scriptures is a householder life with uh, Krishna center of all activities. Uh, I was thinking that we could do that um, as per my limited understanding as of now. Uh, you know, but um, from what you have just shared, you know, many devotees have done that. They have transitioned to one prast and that is recommended. So I wanted to know which verse is that where I can read more about it. Well, two things. One is that you're right, that one can live a householder life and all of that, but not forever. That's the point. Um, the verse that I cited was uh, Madhya 24.259. You can also, um, well, you can look on the internet. I'm sorry I don't have the URL to give you. But if you go on YouTube and and search for Chaitwaita Swami Vanaprastha, I think you'll find it. Um, oh, look there. No. No, that's the database. That's the database one. But I think I've, I've given a uh, an extended seminar several times, actually, on this subject. And there's lots of scriptural stuff from Srila Prabhupada uh, about it. So um, there should be no shortage. If you look at, if you, if you find my, um, my course online, that will talk about it. But just to, to, to summarize, the um, householder life is, is recommended, but only for some time. And Prabhupada's okay. quite clear about that. Okay, uh, yeah, I was not doubting that, just wanted to understand it better because as of now, kind of that <laughs> causes a lot of anxiety. Um, yeah, we are not there, we are still work in progress, so. <laughs> well, that's why Vanaprastha Ashram is, is, is there, because it, it's gradual. You know, 25 years is a long time if you want to take, you know, the full full license, uh, the full span of the license, you have 25 years, um, assuming that you get the longevity from reading the previous chapter. um, (laughs) um, 
So the, the, the time is, but it's, it's, so there's, there's an opportunity for gradual detachment. First you do this, then you do this, then you do this, then you do this, step at a time and step at a time. Um, there's a lot of things that, you know, it doesn't mean that suddenly Tuesday I'm, uh, you know, I have to suddenly pack it up and go to the forest. There's so many things that one can do in advance. The first one, the most important one, of course, is that, and this is, essential for all vanaprastas that in, in vanaprasta life there's no sex in, in vanaprasta life there's no sex so that should be given up if at all it was there that should be given up um, that's and that doesn't require going to a forest it doesn't require any economic adjustment it just requires uh, serious determination uh, that one can do and then there are so many other practical steps one can take. And if one looks to my seminar, one can, can find some of them. We have there to, are also different. We have to move on, I think. No, I said we have two links in the chat to your seminar. Oh, okay, great. So, um, so there you are. Thank you. Uh, Gurudas, you wanted to um, ask? Um, very, very short quick points. I was just picking up, first of all, on <clears throat> what was being discussed about Vanaprastha and, and Maharaj, you seem to be emphasizing that um, serving the deity is, is essential in Vanaprastha life. Am I correct in that? I didn't mention it. Didn't you? But No. You mentioned that. You said that the, the wife could, could stay alone and, and, and serve the deity. <laughs> or be involved in Krishna conscious activities. So, so also on on that that point, that's sort of my second uh, thing I, I noticed. Uh, it seems like in my very limited memory that um, that's the first time I heard Prabhupada address that the woman is is able to stay by herself. Usually, we hear her in the context of being protected by her son or her husband or uh, her father. Okay. First, I'd like to point out that the, that discussion concerns sannyas. In the Vanaprastha ashram, the woman is not left alone. The husband may either comes and goes, or she may he may go, you know, here and there and then come back. So... Um, Sannyas and Sannyas, Prabhupada's talking, if you read that purport, Vanaprastha, and then he may take Sannyas, and then the woman may stay at home. But in the Vanaprastha ashram, husband and wife may be together. They no. may go travel together in holy places or uh, live in a holy place, or uh, he may the husband may come and go. Thank, thank you very much. I was, my observation was very limited to. Um, the prospect of a woman remaining alone at all that seems to be the only time that my very very limited uh, reading uh, has heard Prabhupada mentioned that a, a woman at any stage being able to stay uh, alone yeah so it, it can be a topic for discussion. I don't know how, how far do we want to um, no, go on that I, I don't today. Have, no. Yeah, I'm not asking. But uh, Raghunandan Prabhu has a question. Go ahead, Raghunandan Prabhu. 
or a comment? Hare Krishna Maharaj. And Manoj also seems to have a question. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, an objection could be raised that, okay, we are trying to practice Bhakti Yoga and what is the necessity of going through all these Vanaprastans, uh, the process. I, I'm just content to be in the family life and I'm just content to practicing Bhakti. So how do we address that kind of an uh, objection? You're content, but w- wouldn't you like to be more content? <laughs> that's that's one answer. Um, you seem to be saying, well, you know, you're detached, so what's the harm? Well, if you're detached, then you can accept the Vanaprastha The um, Let me just think for a second. Yeah. Um, the necessity is that this is the strongest attachment to this material world, the attachment to to wife, family, home, and so on. And, you know, do we want to stay here next time around? You know, do it again? Um, because, you know, uh, I thought that one didn't have to, da-da-da-da-da, or do we want to make a clean break? In, in the 15th chapter, Asanga Shastrenajidhainachitva, the complicated banyan tree of material existence, one should cut oneself off from with the weapon of strong detachment. Vairagya Vidya Nija Bhakti Yoga. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu didn't come just to teach Bhakti Yoga. He came to teach Vairagya, Vidya, and Bhakti Yoga. Or Vairagya and Vidya as um, adjuncts or aids, or um, parts and parcels, as Prabhupada would say, of Bhakti Yoga. Thank you. Uh, Mahamantra Prabhu? Hare Krishna Maharaj. Um, Hare Krishna. So, the, what would be the primary activity in one prastha? Is it just chanting? Because for like book distribution and all other activities, the... Um, body also may not, uh, and or the age may not. Uh, it may vary. Yeah. One one sannyasi told me that he observed that Vanaprastha ashram is can vary so much because each householder couple is different. Yeah. Everybody's life is different. Yeah. Um, I know some. I can cite uh, Prithu Shiva and his wife who travel around in a um, mobile home and and distribute books and preach Krishna consciousness. Um, there's uh, Atul Krishna. Some of you know him from uh, Mayapur. Um, he's actually from Australia, but he's staying in Mayapur. And um, you know, now he's sort of, um, he still comes, last time I checked in, he was still coming for lunch, but he was living down the street from his wife. <clears throat> because they're, you know, on a prostitute. And he travels also and preaches. Um, Yadubar and Vishaka, you know, he's <laughs> pitching the movie and she's running, uh, she's the president of the manor. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's plenty of engagement. There's, um, let me think of some others. I already gave Vrindaman Chandra and his wife who are worshipping the deity in, uh, and doing other services in Tuako. There was one devotee in Fiji. They were an older couple. Prabhupada told him, more job. And told her she should always be engaged in the service of the deity. 
So there's all sorts of ways to be engaged. In, and then there's Prabhupada's example, how he was, um, well, he went to Vrindavan. Yes. And sometimes he was coming. So there's so many different ways that one may um, take up the the Vanaprastashram. Uh, especially in our movement, it's it basically it's it's sadhana and it's preaching. Yeah. These two things. Uh, these two things. And it's you know it's the opportunity for all the things I I was missing out on while I was working in you know bringing up uh, raising a family, the association of the devotees, the temple activities, the the preaching, the studying of of the books, the discussion of books, and so on. All of these things now become uh, available. Traveling to holy places, this all becomes available now. Yes, we had a, a whole group of devotees. They were actually not Iskand devotees. They were like older Gujarati people who joined the Padayatra in, uh, in Gujarat, uh, in 1960, uh, 1985 and traveled all around, you know, all the way up to my, down to Kanyakumari, up to Mayapur, <laughs> you know, and so I'm, what, you know, how much of an experience is that compared to, you know, working in your, uh, seclusion, yeah. <laughs> your, your shop or, or whatever it is. Yeah. So it was like the most wonderful thing they they that they could have done, and some of them by the time it was over became initiated devotees and yeah. so on. Nice. Well, let's let's move on to the two other points in this purport. Actually, um, let's go to the very end. And unless the dirt within the core of one's heart is cleansed away, one cannot become a pure devotee. Therefore, the word sudurlabha, very rarely found, is used in this verse. Not only among hundreds and thousands, but among millions of perfected, liberated souls, a pure devotee is hardly ever found. Therefore, the words uh, kotishvapi are used herein. Srila Madhvacharya gives the following quotation from the Tantra Bhagavata. Uh, Koti. Oh, I'll just read English. Uh, there are 90 million demigods and 70 million sages we're all called Narayan, Narayanayan, Naya, devotees of Lord Narayan. Among them, only a few are called Narayana Parayana. The difference between the Siddhas and the Narayana Parayanas is that direct devotees are called Narayana Parayanas, whereas those who perform various types of mystic yoga are called Siddhas. So the question I wanted to ask you, Maharaj, in this regard is, um, so yeah, we just heard these, what, probably four or five verses about the rarity of everything and what to speak of the rarity of pure devotion. Um, and at the same time, we, we hear every town and village, we hear Lord Chaitanya, you know, broke open the storehouse of love of God and didn't, you know, um, make a distinction between who's qualified and who's quant- unqualified, et cetera. And the 10,000 years of the golden age. Uh, so how to how to um, that that juxtaposition seems hmm, a challenge to uh, figure out. I heard Srila Prabhupada speak on this in a class. Maybe it was in Los Angeles. He he brought this up that Manusyanam Sahasreshu Kashchid Yatati Sintaye Yatatamapi Sintanam Kashchid Mam Veti Tatvata. Very rare that anyone uh, becomes a devotee of Krishna. 
So then Prabhupada said, yet we have so many temples, so many devotees. Does it mean that, that this is bogus, that our movement is bogus? And then Prabhupada responded that it's the mercy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. It's simply the mercy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Otherwise, uh, it wouldn't be happening. Mm. Nice. I think that says it all, doesn't it? So then my last question on this verse is, um, I would, I'm assuming that some of us had a little struggle with some of the points in the third paragraph. Because um, Prabhupada talks about some things that we may not be so familiar with. Um, there are two kinds of ganis. Okay, one is inclined to devotional service and the other to impersonal realization. We probably have that one sussed. Impersonalists generally undergo great endeavor for no tangible benefit, and therefore it is said that they are husking paddy that has no grain. The other class of ganis, uh, whose gan is mixed with bhakti, are also of two kinds. Okay, so another class of ganis whose gan is mixed with bhakti. Those who are devoted to the so-called false form of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and those who understand the Supreme Personality of Godhead as such an ananda vigraha. So maybe explain that a bit, but the next one I think is even a little harder. Um, where is it now? Uh, the actual spiritual form. The Mayavadi devotees worship Narayan or Vishnu with the idea that Vishnu has become, uh, has accepted a form of Maya and the ultimate truth is actually impersonal. Oh wait, where is it? The pure devotees, however, never thinks that Vishnu has accepted a body of Maya. Instead, he knows perfectly well that the original absolute truth is the supreme person. I wonder if I deleted it from, isn't there another set? Am I missing a sentence, Prabhu's? What I just read, because I thought... Oh, Prabhu. Oh, no. You covered everything very nicely, Prabhu. Okay. So the other classic Ganis are mixed with Bhakti, are also of two kinds. So could you explain that one sentence, Marj? Yeah. The um, the impersonalists may also worship Vishnu. Generally, they're Panchapashakas. They worship Vishnu, they worship Ganesh, they worship Surya, they worship Durga, they worship Lord Shiva. Uh, take your pick. And it really doesn't matter which one they worship because ultimately the absolute is Nirakar. He has no form, no qualities. It has no form, no qualities, no pastimes, no, uh, no attributes. But that absolute may appear in a form or be imagined in a form. And whichever one you choose it doesn't really matter. They're all, they're all good. Uh, or they, they have the idea that the, that Vishnu is, is a manifestation of the mode of, of the, of the totality of the modes of nature or the mode of goodness and material nature. So these are all material conceptions of Vishnu. The absolute truth is really impersonal, but there's a, a, a concession for those of us who can't focus our minds on that impersonal absolute. We can at least um, make progress by focusing on this form of, of Vishnu on the way to no form. Mm. So the, uh, this is the first class of people uh, Prabhupada talks about. They're worshiping Vishnu, but with an impersonal idea. Uh-huh. Or, or with the idea that I'm worshiping Vishnu, then I'll later I'll merge into Vishnu. Mm. That's also there. Like, I'll serve you until I can take over your post. Wow. 
It can be tricky. I remember once the research center just past Krishna Balaram Temple in Vrindavan, there was mm-hmm. a talk there once by a, a, a scholar, and he was quoting the six Goswamis, Rupa Goswamis, and, I, and, it, and then at the very end, he, everything's impersonal conclusion. It's like quoting the six Goswamis, you know. <laughs> yeah, we have to be careful, don't we? This makes probably makes this one of his, practically his main battlefield is this uh, tension between the impersonal point of view and and the personal point of view. Right. Uh, and this is one of those examples of something that's not uh, open for mediation. Well, you know. Yes. <laughs> a little uh, bit of this, a little bit of that. It's okay. Impersonal Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Live and let live. Yeah. Or, we each have something that we can live with. Or as you say in your book, uh, creative and attached arguments. Yeah. So this is a, an attached argument. You know, we, we got this person who may yes. have an impersonal feature. Yeah. Okay, so we're going up to verse number 10. And that's a maybe a brief discussion. It's about um, pious kings. But let's go on to that. So verse 6. Vitrasura was situated in the blazing fire of battle and was an infamous sinful demon, always engaged in giving troubles and anxieties to others. How could such a demon become so greatly Krishna conscious? My dear Lord, Sukadeva Goswami, although Vritrasura was a sinful demon, he showed the prowess of a most exalted Chatriya and satisfied Lord Indra in battle. How could such a demon be a great devotee of Lord Krishna? These contradictions have caused me great doubt. And they have made me eager to hear of this from you. Sri Sutta Goswami said, after hearing Maharaj Pritchett's very intelligent question, Sukadeva Goswami, the most powerful sage, began answering his disciple. And how did he answer him? With great affection. Sukadeva Goswami said, O king, I shall speak to you the same history I have heard from the mouths of Vyasadeva, Narada, and Devala. Please listen with attention. O king Pritchett, in the province of Surasena, there was a king named Chitraketu who ruled the entire earth. During his reign, the earth produced all the necessities of life. And Prabhupada writes in the purport, um, when there is a good ruler, that source, produce, that source produces the necessities of life abundantly. However, when there is not such a good ruler, there will be scarcity. This is the significant, this is the significance of the word Kamaduk. Uh, elsewhere in Srimad Bhagavatam, first canto, chapter 10, verse 4, it is said, Kaman Bhavarsha Parjanya Sarva Kamadukha Mahi. During the reign of Maharaj Yudhisthira, the clouds showered all the water that people needed. The earth produced all necessities of men in profusion. And a little later, um, if a pious king rules the earth according to the Catholic injunctions, there will naturally be regular rainfall and sufficient produce to provide for all men. There will be no question of exploitation, for everyone will have enough. Black marketeering and other corrupt dealings will then automatically stop. Simply ruling the land cannot solve man's uh, simply ruling the land cannot solve man's problems unless the leader has spiritual capabilities. He must be like Maharaj Yudhisthira, Prichit Maharaj, or Ramachandra. Then all the inhabitants of the land will be extremely happy. Well, we don't have a lot of pious rulers today. Uh, 
but what can we do in, in you know this situation? Right? Uh, I was thinking that as I read the purport. You know, what can uh, just a, a, a Hari Krishna do? You know, there are some. There are so many things that are out of our control, and a few things that are in our control. Right? Um, the the serenity prayer is all about that. Right? You know, I forget exactly how it goes, but you know. You know, there's things that in our control and out of our control, and we pray to the Lord for wisdom to uh, to act on things that are within our control, let go of things that are out of our control, and to have the wisdom to know the difference. So um, I was thinking the two things we can do is, you know, within our control, be Krishna conscious, right? And detach ourselves from so much of the news of the rascal that Prabhupada talks about in the purports, <laughs> Because, you know, we, we all know, and probably some of us have fallen prey to being so in touch with uh, all the news of what's happening in America right now and, and you know, what to speak of leading up to the election and now post-election drama and trauma. And it I don't see it as being, you know, very unequal, very favorable for our bhakti. It's our very uncool. Uncool. <laughs> it's very uncool, yes. So that is, those are two things we could, you know, we, we, we could try to vote for a pious ruler. I don't know if there's too many countries in the world that have that choice on the ballot. Um, and we see the result of what's happening in the world, uh, and for so, for so long in the past also without, you know, this kind of pious leader. But at least we can, as, as kind of, you know, touching upon Maharaj's points about Vanaprasta, we can try to, you know, as George Harrison said, get out of this place by the Lord Sri Krishna's grace. And uh, and at the same time, not get too entangled in the craziness of the world that is is fed by twenty four hour, twenty four seven news channels and uh, etc. Do you want to add anything to that, Marge? I know you know this is something that in your personal life you're careful about. I try to be. Yeah, the um, in the fourth, someplace maybe fourth canto. Um, actually, I know I have it written down now that I think about it. Um, I have it written down now that I think about it. But the, the essence of it, uh, in the, um, the essence of the quotation I have in mind from Srimad Bhagavatam is that... Mm, Non-Krishna kata subject matters that have nothing to do with spiritual realization and Krishna consciousness are like uh, canes that grow on the side of of a um, pond and suck up all the uh, yeah when one's mind and senses this is here it is um, four twenty two thirty. When one's mind and senses are attracted to sense objects for enjoyment, the mind becomes agitated. As a result of continually thinking of sense objects, one's real consciousness almost becomes lost, like the water in a lake that is gradually sucked up by the big grass straws on its bank. So sense objects and uh, this Gramyakata, Gramyakata Nashunibe, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, don't hear Gramya Kata, because then the mind thinks of all this stuff. 
Could you say what Grammy Kata is in case someone doesn't? Uh, village talk, mundane topics. I remember one time back when Satsrut Marsh was editor of BTG, he and I were sometimes reading, you know, from the mundane sources to have something to comment on or to, to think about commenting on them from a Krishna conscious point of view. And there was some news item about the, the son of a wealthy billionaire who was kidnapped and then uh, held for ransom. And the, the kidnappers cut off his ear and sent it to the father as, you know, uh, evidence that they had the boy and as a threat of what could happen. And Satsurup Marsh remarked, you know, that all day I was just thinking about this kid's ear. <laughs> right? You read this stuff and it, it catches. And sometimes, you know, like 15 years later, 20 years later, you're still remembering this stuff. Um, I was reflecting on that, on that the other day, you know, things that I've read that I, I, I would have been better off not reading. Um, not necessarily because it was the lowest stuff, but just because it sticks there. And who wants to have it rattling around in, in your brain? Uh, at the time of death, you want to suddenly be like side-swiped by, uh, you know, some, some catchy thing that, that, that appeared in Time Magazine or the Washington Post. I mean, is that, and, and for what? what? What gain? My experience is that, and Brajah Bihari has the same experience. You go away to India for, you know, months at a time, and you come back and look at the newspaper, and it's as if you didn't miss a day. Because <laughs> it's all the same stuff. It's just eating, sleeping, mating, and defending, um, uh, repeated again and again. The <laughs> proper, yeah, it's just the same topic. Someone stole, someone got caught with embezzlement, someone's been accused of this, someone has confessed to that, someone has uh, made a fortune, someone has lost a fortune, someone has died, someone, you know, it's, there's no difference. Just the, what is it, uh, you know, the name? The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You, you just uh, change the names and the dates, and it's the same old stuff. You can think of it in, from another point of view. You know, we read the New York Times and the Washington Post. If you were in Ecuador, you, you'd be reading, you know, the daily newspaper from Guayaquil or Quito and thinking that it was very important. You know, how important is it? You know, who cares? But we take it as, you know, and the demigods, you know, what do they think about about us sitting here reading the latest news about, uh, you know, this, that, and the other thing? And it's 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 a huge time suck. It, it sucks your time, A. A, it sucks your time. B, it sticks in your head. So it's, it sucks up the your energy. And three, you're missing out because that's time that we could be reading Srimad Bhagavatam, we could be chanting Hare Krishna, we could be doing something for real progress. So on three counts, we're, we're plugged in the wrong socket. Mm-hmm. And why, why that's, it and is. that's like one thing Vanaprastha is, you know, if, if you haven't already given up on this stuff, say, okay, now, you know, our Vanaprastha life has begun, so we're not going to do this, we're not going to do that, we're not going to, you know, even if somehow it was there, at least now, we're done. Cancel the newspaper subscription. Cancel the Time magazine subscription. Cancel the Netflix subscription. You know, cancel all those uh, subscriptions. So there's some taste in it, though, Mars, right? And and sure, 
And uh, does it also indicate some jaundice for the spiritual stuff? <laughs> yeah, it indicates jaundice on the spiritual stuff, and it it indicates that we you know we have a taste for the modes of material nature. Passion, wow, you know, passion with like eighty passion and, and twenty goodness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. For you know, that. It's like like mint chocolate chip ice cream. <laughs> Thank you, Marsh. Any Anyone want a, a question or comment before we move on to verse 17? Everyone stunned? <laughs> okay, then let, let us uh, continue. We're up to, we're going up to 17. We're on verse 11. This Chitra Ketu had 10 million wives, but although he was capable of producing children, he did not receive a child from any of them. By chance, all the wives were barren. Chitraketu, the husband of these millions of wives, was endowed with a beautiful form, magnanimity, and youth. He was born in a high family. He had a complete education, and he was wealthy and opulent. Nevertheless, in spite of being endowed with all these assets, he was full of anxiety because he did not have a son. His queens all had beautiful faces and attractive eyes, yet neither his opulences, his hundreds and thousands of queens, nor the lands of which he was the supreme proprietor, were sources of happiness for him. Once upon a time, when the powerful sage named Angira was traveling all over the universe without engagement, by his sweet will he came to the palace of King Chitraketu. Chitraketu immediately stood up from his throne and offered him worship. He offered drinking water and edibles, and in this way performed his duty as a host to the great guest. When the rishi was seated very comfortably, the king, restraining his mind and senses, sat on the ground at the side of the rishi's feet. O King Parikshit, when Chitraketu bent low in humility, was seated at the lotus feet of the great sage, the sage congratulated him for his humility and hospitality. The sage addressed him in the following way. The great sage Angira said, My dear <coughs> king, I hope that your body and mind and your royal associates and paraphernalia are well. When the seven properties of material nature, the total material energy, the ego, and the five objects of sense gratification uh, are in proper order, the living entity within the element is happy. Without these seven elements, uh, one um, cannot exist. No. Similarly, a king is always protected by seven elements. His instructor, Swami or Guru, his ministers, his kingdom, his fort, his treasury, his royal order, and his friends. I just picked up on the last um, two sentences of the purport. When we inquire from a friend whether everything is well, we are concerned not only with his personal self, but also with his family, his source of income, and his assistants or servants. All of them uh, must be well, and then a person can be happy. This reminded me, and I can't remember, is it the first canto? Where Prabhupada talks about the different uh, greetings. Uh, you say, uh, you greet a, a Brahmin or a renunciate. Uh, what is it? Ahishya. What is it? Ahishya. How does it go? Punarjanma Vijaya. Vijaya. Ahishyam Yatkat Punarjanma Vijaya, I believe. How are you doing in your struggle to overcome death? And then a Chatriya is, you know, are the, are your citizens under control? Are they happy? Um, the Vaisha, if it's out of business, basically, uh, you know, or how are the cows and the lamb? 
and the sutras, how are you feeling? You know, basically. Uh, but the point being that um, readings were meaningful, or art could be meaningful in, a, in, in our lives and in a proper culture, whereas it's usually like, hey, how you doing? Oh, okay, how's it going? I, that's at least at work. That's pretty much what it is. And uh, and even with devotees, we not that you know every discuss every time we talk to another devotee, we have to have a deep, meaningful exchange. Um, but there was meaning to the greetings. And, and Maharaj, you were mentioning a word in Af- African language, one of the African languages that is umbito or something. Was it uh, Ubuntu? That's not exactly to do with greetings, but Ubuntu. Yeah. Okay. Wow. It has to do with interconnectedness and the sense that my welfare depends on your welfare. Mm. Nice. Or as it's sometimes put, I am who I am because of who you are. Uh, nice. And I think I was telling you, my, my, uh, I don't know if this is exactly accurate, but uh, uh, I saw some... Um, of our younger generation devotees, some of our TSI devotees, were talking about how they feel in their sangha, um, I'm responsible for my Krishna consciousness, but I'm also responsible for yours. But it seemed like quite a nice sentiment. So anything on, I just thought I'd bring this up because it's mentioned, anything on greetings and how our, our exchanges with others? Typical Vaishnav greeting as Apka bhajan kushal hai. Which means? Uh, you're bhajan doing all right. You're happily ex- executing your your devotional service, your, your bhajan. Mm. For a devotee, that's, you know, like for business, as you said, for Brahm, Brahman, Kshatriya, Vaishya, and then for, for a Vaishnav, is, is your bhajan going nicely? Right. Your devotional and, service going nicely. And is it, how do you answer that? Are you proud if you say, oh, very good? <laughs> We're expected. To I, I hear. Diagnosis. I hear a lot by your mercy. <laughs> right, right. I know uh, my guru Maharaj would say, well, "No sincerity, mm. problem." He would say, "Problem, no sincerity." In the chat, uh, Suganda has written that. Uh, Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati used to respond to greetings of others with Daso Smi. I am your servant. Okay, anything else on greetings? Then let us carry on. And we're going up to verse 22. 18. O King, O Lord of humanity, when a king directly depends upon his associates and follows their instructions, he is happy. Similarly, when his associates offer their gifts and activities to the king and follow his order, they are also happy. There's that interdependence kind of that Maharaj was alluding to. O king, are your wives, citizens, secretaries, and servants, and the merchants who sell spices and oils under your control? Are you also in full control of your ministers, the inhabitants of your palace, your provincial governors, your sons, and your other dependents? If the king's mind is fully controlled, all his family members and government officials, uh, officer, officers are subordinate to him. His pro, uh, provincial governors present taxes on time without resistance and what to speak of lesser servants. O King Chichiketu, I can observe that your mind is not pleased. 
you seem not to have achieved your desired goal. Is this because of you yourself or has it been caused by others? Your pale face reflects your deep anxiety. Sukadev Goswami said, O King Parikshit, although the great sage Angira knew everything, so we already knew it, right? He inquired from the king in this way. Thus, King Chitraketu, desiring a son, bent low in great humility and spoke to the great sage as follows. In the purport, Srila Prabhupada writes that since the face is the index of the, to the mind, a saintly person can study the condition of one's mind by seeing his face. So, um, I, 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 a couple of significant things. Uh, I, thought, I thought it's significant. He already knew, because he's a great sage, and still he inquired. The inquiry, you know, develops the relationship. There's a rasa there. Instead of just saying, I can read your mind. Your problem is you don't have a son. You know, it, it develops the, the relationship, the give and take by asking that question. And then this is a saying that I think we often hear in, in ISKCON, the face is the index of the mind. I don't know if Prabhupada says it elsewhere. I didn't look into that, but it's certainly clearly stated here. And it's such a, uh, tr- a truism. I, I think we've, we've all had experience. You can kind of tell, you know, we can read at least to some extent body language. Um, and we can, uh, we can see if someone's, uh, Prabhupada would talk about how, uh, I forget, is it in the first canto that, you know, the shaved up saffron wearing person who looks like he just came from Vaikuntha, the devotees like that. They look very effulgent. And we see in, in, in devotees' faces off, you can see if they're, or people's faces in general, you know, where, where, where they're at. And we do read body language just like, um, the example I'd like to give is Lord Chaitanya didn't say anything to Sanatana Goswami, but he just looked in a disapproving way at his fancy shawl or chatter, and um, Sanatana Goswami got the message. <laughs> and we probably know that story, that pastime. Um, similarly, when after Parvati had cursed, you know, she covered herself with her sari. She didn't say anything, but uh, her feeling of perhaps some uh, regret for how she dealt with Chitraketu is, is mentioned. So um, body language is something to also that we, I think we naturally do and we can probably become better at, especially as, as, uh, as preachers um, and as friends to someone, we can see something might be on their mind and we can at least open the door. You know, it seems like something is on your mind. If you'd like to talk about it, I'm, I'm your servant. I'm here to talk. Things like that. Um, Maharaj, any thoughts on face being anything we just mentioned? Not really. Prabhupada mentioned face as the index of mind a lot, actually. He quoted the said it often. Mm. Thank you. Some comments or questions uh, on this point? I was just thinking, like, when you ask the question, uh, like, how do you answer when, how is your bhajana? So, really, I feel like telling the truth, telling the struggle, we may get some real mercy instead of saying, by your mercy. Partly it depends on, on who's asking. That's correct, Maharaj, yes. You know, if, if you're if someone's just a 
So shopkeeper asks you, how are you doing? You say, fine. Yeah. Your doctor asks you, how are you doing? You know, you spill the, all the beans. Right. Or a friend asks you, you know, then you may confide in it's close With friends and uh, superiors. Matter. Even superiors. Superiors may not want to know the whole story. You know, if you're... Uh, if your congressman asks you how you're feeling, well, you know, I woke up with a sore throat this morning and... Uh, you know. Well, spiritual superiors, <laughs> devotees, senior devotees, yes. Yeah, again, it depends on the on the relationship and on... Uh, yeah, depends on the relationship and the circumstances. It's not that, it, that the inquiry is always aimed at eliciting, you know, the full... Yes, Whole truth and nothing but the truth. You know, sometimes it's just uh, recognized as as a what would you say a, a social noise. Yes, but the true elvishers uh, sense something by looking at the face. Yeah, again, it's up to you. You know, to they um, whether uh, under the circumstances and with that person you feel. Um, that you really want to confide something. Yes. It's an opportunity, certainly. You know, some advanced devotee or superior or saintly person asks you, you may not just want to give a, a canned reply and say, you know, doing okay, Maharaj. You, you may say, wow, he's asking me. Let me, um, you know, let me put the case before him. Um, but, you know, again, it's for you to, to, to consider. At work sometimes, and I know it's just a nicety, I say, uh, they say, how are you? I say, do you have an hour? <laughs> I'll tell you. Let me tell you. <laughs> and they laugh, I laugh, and go our separate ways. Well, here's a question that would probably take a long, could be a long discussion. In regard to being, this is in the chat, in regard to being responsible for other spirituality, how does a devotee attract those to Krishna? There's, I don't see Maharaj answering right away, but uh, I would just say uh, there's different ways. One way is to give them uh, a, a book that's written by a great devotee like Srila Prabhupada and uh, let, let him do a lot of the uh, work. And then we ask them, do you have any questions from what you've read and point out some things in it? But, uh, let the great soul do the talking. Another is to be a really good example of ourselves, to... Um, be saintly in our behavior and people just kind of notice that we're different than others by dint uh, of uh, our spiritual master and Krishna's mercy. Those are two thoughts that come to my mind right away. But this could probably be a two-hour discussion if we let it. Anyone else like to chime in on that? Maharaj or other? Yeah, again, it's, it's up, to, up to you what you want to give. You give them some prasadam, you give them the holy name, you give them a book, you give them Devotees always, but like Prabhupada, he, sometimes he was in Central Park, he just, on his morning walk, he'd say, good morning. And the person crossing the other way would say, good morning. And Prabhupada said, so he, he wished good morning to a Vaishnava, so he's making progress. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. so that was sort of a minimal. He, he didn't really expect that he'd be able to um, give a Bhagavatam class to the person. But... <laughs> 
sometimes he would say a lot more, you know, so it depended on, again, the circumstances and the person. Good. Let's uh, carry on and try to do at least one more, um, talk about one more verse. We're going up to 29. Okay, we're on 23. King Chichiketu said, O great Lord, Angira, because of austerity, knowledge, and transcendental samadhi, you are freed from all reactions to sinful life. Therefore, as a perfect yogi, you can understand everything external and internal regarding embodied conditioned souls like us. O great soul, you are aware of everything, yet you are asking me why I am full of anxiety. Therefore, in response to your order, let me discuss the cause. As a person aggrieved by hunger and thirst is not pleased by the external gratification of flower garlands or sandalwood pulp, I am not pleased with my empire, opulence, or possessions, which are desirable even for great demigods, because I have no son. Therefore, O great sage, please save me and my forefathers who are descending to the darkness of hell because I have no progeny. Kindly do something so that I may have a son to deliver us from hellish conditions. In response to the request of Maharaj Chitraketu, Angira Rishi, who was born of Lord Brahma's mind, was very, uh, was very merciful toward him. Because the sage was a great powerful personality, he performed a sacrifice by offering oblations of sweet rice to Tvasta. 28. O Prikshit Maharaj, best of the Paratas, the remnants of the food offered in the Yagna were given by the great sage Angira to the first and most perfect among Chitraketu's million, millions of wives, our queens, whose name was Kritadyuti. Thereafter, the great sage told the king, O great king, now you will have a son who will be the cause of both jubilation and lamentation. The sage then left without waiting for Chitraketu's response. And the purport, Prabhupada writes, that because of his great jubilation, he could not actually understand the statement of the sage Angira. He accepted it to mean that there would certainly be jubilation because of the birth of his future son, but that he would be the king's only son, and being very proud of his great wealth and empire, would not be very obedient to his father. Thus the king was satisfied, thinking, let there be a son, it does not matter if he is not very obedient. In Bengal, there is a proverb <coughs> that instead of having no material, a maternal uncle, it is better um, to have a maternal uncle who is blind. Or a blind uncle is better than no uncle at all. So I thought this, you know, I, I, do we ever do this? You, you know, um, Chitraketu is kind of doing selective hearing, right? Kind of hearing what he wants to hear. And, you know, setting us, okay, so there may be some lamentation. He may be a little naughty. He may be, uh, not so submissive. Um, and not necessarily, not necessarily taking the full import, uh, or, you know, or minimizing it, you know, and, and do we ever do this when we hear from a sadhu or we hear from the Bhagavatam or Srila Prabhupada's writings? You know, we, we like to hear the pastimes, but we don't like to hear that, uh, you know, birthday, Janma Mitri Jaraviati, and, you know, birth death disease in old age, and therefore we should be really serious, and we should give up sense credit, you know. So we sometimes also selective here, or if not, I don't think any of us would be bold enough to to write off what Prabhupada says, but we just kind of, you know, skim over the surface of some of the things that are a little less appealing and want to, you know, 
get into the, read the things that we and uh, accept and try to apply, things are more appearing. Does that ever, is that, do we ever follow in Chitra Ketu's footsteps? Oh, Just one second, Jiva, before you speak. Maharaj may want to uh, say something. Well, it's clear that we don't do those things because we're Vaishnavas and we're in ISKCON. Okay. Very good. Next verse. <laughs> Go ahead, Jiva. Prabhu. So in India, there's similar, a lot of similar sayings. Understanding it, he actually names his son as Harshashoka. So that description comes in other Puranas elaborately. And the interesting aspect is there are similar sayings in India. People say that if you get married, you're going to be, you know, sad. And if you don't get married, you're going to be sad. So better get married. (laughs) So there are similar sayings that are there that we see in the society even today prevalent. So sometimes, you know, you don't get this or you do get this. Both of them lead to the same results, better you get it. Then this is what the king is showing in his attitude that if I don't have a son, I'm already sad. If I have a son, I will be sad, but I'll also be happy. So that's better than 100% sad. I'll be 50-50. So there's some progress. From that perspective, he's accepting that as a solution. Interesting. I also see in India many times people will... Um, Quote, karma nevari karaste, but they won't quote the next line. Mafa leshu kadachana. You know, for those who may not be familiar, that, you know, you have a right to perform your duty, and people kind of like that. I'm doing my duty, you know. Uh, but the next line says, but you should not be attached to the fruits of that. Uh, and that we don't hear very often. I've heard so many times people quote the first line. <laughs> so. It's something we want to be careful of if we want to be, you know, honest in our approach to Krishna consciousness. We have to, we take Krishna's instructions and Prabhupada's instructions and, uh, as they are instead of as we like, right? Bhagavad Gita, as you like. And I know there's a tendency, I have this tendency. That's why I could see it in the uh, verses. <laughs> other, other, some other thoughts on this point. Okay, well, then uh, we, we covered a lot of verses today. We finished one chapter and got up to uh, uh, text 29. I only had two more verses to read in this chapter, so the homework for next week will also include um, the meeting between... Uh, so Angira was by himself when he first came, but now he returns with Narda and gives the such... Um, Great blessings to Chitraketu, ultimately. Yes. So thank you so much um, for this week. And again, thank you for uh, His Holiness Jayadvaita Maharaj. And I hope you have a wonderful week in Krishna consciousness. And we will see you same time, same place in, um, um, what is it? Six days and 22 and a half hours from now. <laughs>